Good morning, church. Good morning. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, lamb for sinners slain. Oh, if the Lord had not called men to preach, we could just rest right in those words. Praise God. Would you please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25. We'll begin in verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and handed over his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you handed five talents over to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you have handed two talents over to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Therefore, you ought to have put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance but from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And throw that worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you are holy, righteous God. Your son has conquered death, lamb of God for sinners slain, reigning on your throne until every enemy shall be put as a footstool for your feet. You have given your people a mission 
and you have entrusted us with your mission and your treasure. You have asked us to make a return for you. And you have promised that those who do shall be rewarded with abundance. Lord, may we, as we go over this passage today, a passage well trodden, may we see what you wish us to see. You desire us to grow. You desire us to go. You desire us to give in service for your namesake. May we be attentive to your word and may it accomplish the purpose that you have for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's text is truly familiar Bible territory. Very, very familiar Bible territory. So I would actually like to start today's text with a summary of an article from the main journal of education, volume 8, dated 1874, in praise of the then just late Jean-Louis Agassiz, a renowned Swiss natural scientist teaching zoology in the United States. This text should serve as a parable for our parable, and I pray that you hear it. It's titled, In the Laboratory with Agassiz. In summary, a student wishes to enroll in the zoology department under Dr. Agassiz. He meets him, and he lays out his credentials and his intentions. He answers a few questions from the professor about what he intends to do with his studies. He specifically wants to focus on entomology, or the study of insects. When do you wish to begin, the professor asks. Now. I replied, writes the student. This seemed to please him, and with an energetic, very well, he reached from a shelf a huge jar of specimens in yellow alcohol. Take this fish, said he. We call it a haymulin. By and by, I will ask you what you have seen. Well, the student then starts looking at the fish for about 10 minutes. Thinks he gets the fish, and seeks to find the professor who has gone away. Since he cannot, he has no other instructions, so he's forced to look again at the fish. Agassiz prohibited him from using any scientific tools to study the fish. The student explains, my two hands, my two eyes, and the fish. It seemed a most limited field. He begins to draw the fish. Look at the fish from different angles. A few times he happens upon a discovery. Tells the professor, only to be told that he hasn't looked very carefully and he's missed one of the most important parts. He's sent away to think about the fish overnight and given a test the following morning. Hear the student's words. The cordial greeting of the professor the next morning was reassuring. Here was a man who seemed to be quite as anxious as I that I should see for myself what he saw. Do you perhaps mean, I asked, that the fish has symmetrical sides with paired organs? His thoroughly pleased, of course, of course, repaid my wakeful hours from the previous night. After he had discoursed most happily and enthusiastically, as he always did, Upon the importance of this point, I ventured to ask what I should do next. 
Oh, look at your fish, he said, and left me again to my own devices. In a little more than an hour, he returned and heard my new catalog. That's good, that's good, he repeated, but it is not all. Go on. And so for three long days, he placed that fish before my eyes, forbidding me to look at anything else or to use any artificial aid. Look, 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 was his repeated injunction. And what was the result for the student? Quote, this was the best entomological study of insects lesson I have ever had, a lesson whose influence has extended to the details of every subsequent study, a legacy the professor has left to me, as he has left it to many others, of inestimable value, which we could not buy, with which we cannot part. Today's text and the lessons our master wants us to learn ask much of the student. Much of that means giving of ourselves in the same way that he gave for us completely. Let us look, look, look this morning with eyes to see what he has to tell us. In the 20th century church, the parables have often been safe spaces for pastors to say something to the congregation, sometimes without saying anything at all. Some of the common things pastors might say with respect to this parable are, God has given us blessings. We must use our blessings wisely. I did a quick internet search and found those. These kinds of phrases, to some extent true in their own way, are so separated from a real context and meaning that they will spur little fellowship conversation, let alone actionable change. However, before we can drink deep of our Lord's wisdom and apply it to our lives, we have to answer some foundational questions. Question one, what is the surrounding context? Never, ever dayspring card your study of God's word. Let the reader and recipient of dayspring cards understand. The text should be firmly grounded in its context. This parable, which was given two days before Jesus' betrayal, is in the middle of a stark call to action for his disciples. It directly follows the passage concerning the parable of the ten virgins, who we might remember were called to keep their lamps ready and trimmed for the bridegroom. In addition, it directly precedes Jesus' teaching on the final judgment, where Jesus separates those who follow him truly from those who only thought they did. As we can see, the surrounding context concerns those who have believed in Christ and what they do with that belief. Question two, what is the man or master and who are these servants? Well, simply, the master is Christ. He was about to go on a journey and come back and receive a kingdom. If you're interested in more for that, see Luke 19's parable of the talents for more here about receiving a kingdom. 
The servants are his disciples, soon to be apostles, and those who would follow after him. This also concerns us who follow after them in a long line of spiritual succession. The final servant is an example of those who think they follow the master, but indeed end up being worthless, lazy slaves. I'll talk more on all of these later. Question three, and probably the most hotly debated, the one that I will spend the most time on this morning, is the critical question of how to interpret Jesus' word, talents. Did Jesus mean them to be money, or was his aim something else? There is not a single part of this passage that I think could misdirect exegesis more than a misunderstanding of the talents. So let's look at two of the main pitfalls. First pitfall. It's all about the drachmas, baby. The word talent here, literally talenton, is a sum of money estimated to be anywhere from a few hundred bucks to thousands of dollars. Given American inflation, that number just keeps changing. But understand, it's a large amount of money. After much research, I found the exact amount to be unknown exactly. And I would believe that this is by divine design. Key to understanding the text and the talents is not that we know how much it was, but that we know the disciples knew how much it was. New Testament Christians in the first century would probably have a pretty hard time understanding how much a thousand bucks is. But we have no trouble with that because we understand money is a store of value and we understand what money means to us now. It was not about the value of the talent. We would do little good trying to dig into the Syrian drachma and get down into the numbers and divine a special meaning from understanding the exact decimal point that Jesus was talking about. It was an easily understood measure of what these servants, these slaves were given. One, five, one, two, one, one, each according to his ability. Well, then Joshua, if it wasn't just money specifically, what was it then? Uh, abilities. Perhaps you've heard of this. Skill sets. Well, here's the second pitfall. It's all about my abilities. I mean, you've got abilities from God. Abilities are gifts. Gifts are talents. And maybe we could take a gifting inventory and we could datify God's spiritual blessings. Actually, let's just read verse 14 again. A man is about to go on his journey and he calls over his slaves and he hands over his possessions to them. The Greek here literally means his property. How does he hand it over to them? He gives it to them, verse 15, each according to their own ability or his own ability. That word ability right there in the Greek means strength, power, and what we would understand as ability. So the ability is not the possession that is given the possession that is given is given according to the ability. Try to follow me with that, right? The master's possessions are given according to ability, not they are the ability. They're one and the same. So where do I get abilities, you might ask? Hold up, Josh, don't go any further. Where do I get abilities? Well, I believe that abilities, 
or skill, as it's known in the Old Testament, can be grown and are grown throughout your life. Matthew's able to play the violin. Brad is a skilled blacksmith. They didn't get there without growing the skills to do so. And they didn't grow those skills without taking the risk to try in the first place. While some people are truly gifted artists, musicians, and doctors, and so on, none of them got there without some degree of ability cultivation. If you have a passion or even an interest in something that you think could be useful to God's kingdom, pray, talk with trusted counselors, and give it a go. Do you see a man who's skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. So talents aren't just money, and they aren't just abilities. So here's the key. The talents are the master's possessions. They are given according to our ability, but they are given according to his inscrutable wisdom. So what are our Christ's, our king, our master's possessions? Let's take a walk through scripture. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. So now then, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Job chapter 41, verse 11. Who has given to me that I should repay him? <clears throat> Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. For every beast, I'm sorry, Psalm 50 Verses 10 and 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, as well as its fullness. Church, that, those, these, we are God's possessions. Now let's take a look at Christ's possessions on behalf of God. John chapter 16, 12 through 15. I still have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak from himself. Whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what will come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he takes of mine and discloses it to you. God has taken of Christ and disclosed to you what you have today, Christian who you have become this day is a part of God's plan for you to take his possessions and give a faithful return to Christ. Now, I've mentioned a lot here about working for Christ, and some may be foreign to all of this work talk. I want to make it clear that the central point of this parable is emphatically not to earn entrance 
into the master's blessing. The reason slave number one and slave number two were so eager to do his will was because they were aware that they were his property, his own slaves. They were aware that they had abilities and they were determined to make something of them. The awareness of who they were was the fuel for what they could do. They weren't trying to earn something new. They already knew they had it. A word to any guests today, anyone who may not be in Christ. Perhaps you're here today and this master is not your master. You're not his slave. You don't have a share in his property. You're actually not even a character in this story. Can I share with you that time is a gift from God to you today? It's a gift given to all humanity, but you might have precious little of. There are other parables that speak directly to your case, but the rewards of any parable for Jesus' followers are for being in the master's service. The reward for spurning the gift of God's son is separation from him eternally. Perhaps you may think that a hard statement. Well, 19th century London Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon would agree with you. It is a hard statement. Yet, he said, hard words, if they be true, are better than soft words, if they be false. But you have another gift today. You're here in this room by God's grace. You're surrounded by a room of people who are just like you, but they've experienced that grace and they've received it by faith. No matter how old or young you are, turn and look around in this room. They would be happy to share that gift with you. They would be happy to invite you to join in the master's work. So let's take a look at what we're going to be trading with. What are our gifts? What are the possessions the master has given us? Well, now that we know that the, the possessions are the masters, what has he given? First, if you're a Christian, you've been given access to God by the Spirit, through Christ, by faith. You have the very words of Christ, quite literally right now, at your fingertips. Are you making a return? His word is his property. He said it would not return void. Are you intent to spend it? You've also been given a gift of eternal life, and that gift was meant to be given, not kept. Christ isn't saying you have to make converts. He's simply calling you to sow seeds. If you're married, you have a spouse to lead or follow in this mission. They're also the return, part of the return you're supposed to give. Do you love and cherish them? Do you wash them in the water of God's word, building them up in the mission God has put you in? If you have children, do you believe they are immortal image bearers? By faith, do you see them as future generational followers of Christ in the mission? One of the greatest mistakes of the American church has been a drift 
towards making a superhero cannonball boom in the world. I'm going to change the world for Jesus. Even Reformed Christian Twitter right now is awash with men pining after larger followings, jockeying for position. Fathers, you already have the word. Teach your children. Build a family culture of joy, fun, and Christ's mission together. Just like our friend Agassiz, encourage your children to continually look, look, look at Christ. Look at his word. Look at what he's done for you. What about your land? There are countless ways to use it and grow it. Are you doing that for the service of Christ? Or are you doing it to build up your own kingdom? You can make a return with your land. Your name may be on the deed, but it's Christ's property. You may only have a tiny amount of square feet or a small lot, but we serve a God who can make a whole lot grow out of a very little. Do you own a company? How much power is at the fingertips of business owners to grow a business, show excellent work, and give glory to Christ through it? Are you just a plain old employee? Do you see your job as your duty? Or do you see it as a field to follow a victorious Savior and do great work in his name? Remember, those skilled in their work stand before kings. Are you just a child? It is my deeds, it is by his deeds that a young man makes himself known if his conduct is pure and upright. Kids, you have so much more opportunity than many of us adults. Given your age, just get started. Talk to your parents. Think through what the master has given you and start growing it now. Wherever you are, Faithful with little starts where you are. With what you have been given, spending your abilities to create more. It is time to get to using what the master has given you. As Pastor Chris said a few weeks ago, where you are starting right now is not really of consequence. It's that you start now. You have been given gifts by the most perfect and wise God. He knows exactly who you are and what you are capable of. What are you going to do with his possessions? When are you going to start? Verse 16 says, Immediately the one who had received went and spent it. Immediately should characterize every day you wake up from your bed, every time you repent of wastefulness in your schedule, every time you take stock of your plans. Time is God's, and he gave you time today to grow his possessions. Maybe you don't feel like slave one or slave two. I didn't receive five talents or two. I've, I've actually kind of received very little, and I've really wasted it. I don't have anything to show for a decade more of Christianity. Oh, I'm just a worthless servant. There are likely two conclusions that we can draw from that line of thinking. Number one, you probably haven't wasted all that time like you think you have. You might be embracing what Pastor Chris has in the past called worm theology. I'm just a worm and not a man. I'm so terrible. I'm worthless to the gospel, worthless to Jesus, 
worthless to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I encourage you to just repent, as Pastor Chris has in the past? Repent, turn to Christ, look at what he's given you, and get back to work. Then you need to take some inventory and get with your brothers and sisters and get to it. I have an anecdote from my life here. I lived for a year in Japan on a foreign exchange program. I was a fairly new Christian and hardly knew a stitch of deep theology. I thought God would take it, take the country to Christ through me. I served in a church, talked to several people about Christ. No one got saved. And I made a number of spiritual and physical mistakes that made me feel like I was not even a follower of Christ by the end of that year. Twelve years later, Christina, my wife, received a message on Facebook from a girl at my university named Yuka. We were friends with her, and she was informing us that she was getting married. Her message reads, and I will quote in verbatim, so for our English speakers, understand that san is a way that Japanese people address Mr. or Mrs. Thank you, Christina-san, for your well wishes. You and Joshua-san are the perfect couple that I admire from my university era. Because of you and Josh-san, I started to be interested in Christianity gradually, especially since Josh gave me a New Testament when he was leaving Japan. It took six years for me to become a Christian, but I am so blessed to know you through Josh. And because of you and Josh-san, I could understand what the true love is. I still remember the time he gave a presentation to our class. He talked about skyaru to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what that means in a relationship. As a Christian and Protestant, now I can see some reflection from the Bible in his presentation. Christian, you will likely never know half of what God, you did with God's property. When you make it to the settling of accounts with the Lord, God will likely have some surprises for you. Do not trust your eyes or your heart. Trust your Savior and continue working. Let's say maybe number two, you really have buried his property. Your spouse languages. Your kids are in deep need of discipleship and self-control. Your work is a wreck. You haven't read your Bible in years. You fit the bill for that DC talk song start, What If I Stumble intro. You know what I mean. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. You know what I mean. If that's you, I want to exhort you to repent today. You're surrounded by loving brothers and sisters in Christ who would gladly walk with you in repentance. But it's time to get the shovel, get your talent out of the ground, and get to work. One talent is no small sum to measure the master's blessings, and it is yours to spend. Compare all you do now to what you will hear from your master when it's time to settle accounts. In the words of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Greg McCowan from his book, Essentialism, instead of asking, what do I have to give up? You should be asking, what do I want to go big on? Go big on your master's property. 
go big on giving him a return. In summary, no matter where you are, no matter how much you think you have or how much you own, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're given property. Following him is using that property where you are with what you have, counting it all joy that you are his. Let's take a little look further into the text. Turn to verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves, let's stop for a second. Maybe your Bible has some asterisks right there. Came and settled. Those Greek verbs are actually in their original language in the present tense. If you look at the compendium to your LSB Bible, if you have one, or maybe your NASB, it might say, the translators thought that it was a better idea to translate these in past tense to keep with the rest of the verbs. Here is one place where I just personally disagree, and I really love the present tense, because it says, now after a long time, the master of those slaves comes and settles accounts with them. Why is that important to me? Well, it's important to me because he's not come yet. He's not settled accounts. There is time. You have a gift right now. We're not told how long that time is. It could have been 70 AD if you're a full preterist. Probably wasn't 1988 or 1998 left behind. And it most certainly hasn't been ruled out that it's 40,000 years from now. However, we aren't told. We're just simply told he's coming and he's settling. So we have an account to build. Again, it's not workspace righteousness, folks. We only get into access with Christ in heaven because of his shed blood for us and our belief in following that. But for the Christian, for the one who follows Christ, there will be a return. We will make good on what he has given us by being his slaves. So what's our account? I love Romans 14, 12. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul says in verse 8, For not one of us lives to himself, not one of us dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Our daily decisions should reflect Christ's ownership of us. How about Hebrews 4.13? And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have an account to give. I know we will give an account for the things that we have done in the body. Let them be kingdom-building things. Slave 1 and Slave 2 understood this accounting. They knew that the master would be back, and they knew that their master was looking for a return. So they went and they spent. They received abundance and joy in return. When these slaves handed in their accounts, they heard the words, well done, good and faithful slave. Christ is saying in this parable that there will be an accounting and that faithfulness has rewards in heaven. Jesus makes no elaboration in the parable of what you were faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things means, but 
He does say that two and five talents, large sums of measurement of money and wealth in first century Jerusalem are a few things compared to what is to come. Notice also that both the five-talent guy and the two-talent guy got the same answer. Faithful with a few, put you in charge of many. The joy of the master is there in abundance, no matter how much he gave to you. Well now, we get to one-talent guy. How should we look at him? Let's keep reading. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. His first statement is so telling. How does he define hard man? Reaping and getting the rewards where you did not sow. For where you did not labor. What are we to do with this statement? I mean, is he right? Have you ever asked that question? When the disciples looked at this parable by the power of the Spirit, they understood how absolutely wicked and lazy this last slave was. Why? Because the work his master did was to buy the slaves with his own life. That's the hard man that Eric Kahn talks about, not the hard man that the one talent guy talks about. This isn't a manager who's just sitting around claiming, collecting money. If you hear nothing else I say today, hear this, whether you know Christ or not, he did not leave us to do all the work. All the work has already been done. He simply left us to bring about the kingdom he already bought. This is why the first two slaves gave everything they had with everything they were given because they knew their master had already given everything he had to make them his. They knew he was coming back. They knew he was going to receive the kingdom and they made it their aim to please him. You bet the master was right with his pronouncement of slave number three. It's truly wicked and lazy to scorn the price that your master paid to buy you by not doing anything with what he gave you. One more comment about the last slave in verse 18. His master gave property that would take a lifetime to, dis to work with, and he dispensed with it in a day. We don't know what he did with the rest of his life, but it certainly wasn't focused on the master's mission. Submission to Christ is not a single decision. It is a lifetime commitment to become his slave shepherd his property, and move his mission forward. So much lamentable damage has been done to the church, teaching that the believer in Christianity just has to make a decision and not submit to a king. Now, what are the indicators that you or I might be wasting what our master gave? I'll give you a couple, just a few. Number one, we're afraid of God's plan. Notice the, first, the third slave says, I was afraid. Everything that happens in your life has come about by the sovereign hand of God who works all things together for your good. He is not a hard man. Being afraid of how his plan for your life is playing, excuse me, 
Being afraid of how his plan for your life is playing out is key to fearing God, to being afraid of God. Are you afraid of the decree? You're probably afraid of the king who gave it. How about number two, believing falsehood? Do you say, I knew you to be in your own heart with God's providence? However depressive thoughts lamenting your life now. So, so we, don't, we don't typically say, I knew you to be with God. We don't, we don't talk to God like that. But maybe we do with depressive thoughts lamenting your life now. How about nostalgic covetousness wanting your life back then or a fatalistic resignation quitting on the life that God is going to give you? Those can make any brother or sister in Christ forget their master's kindness. Remember the words of the song this morning. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking not around to everything that may be going wrong in my life right now, looking above, filled with his goodness, not lost in my struggles, lost in his love. The final one, that I want everyone to be very careful about is going away. Slave number three went away. He says, I was afraid and I went away and I hid your talent. Slave number three didn't stay with the others wherever they stayed and spent their money. Away, the word away in Greek is used 116 times in the Greek New Testament. And I was having a difficult time finding a single passage that used the word away in a good context. Most of the time, it's either used in a neutral context, Jesus went away from that region, or he went away, Demas went away, this person went away into eternal punishment. We should not go away. We should not stray from God's mission. We should not stray from God's people. We should not stray from God's word. I disagree with D.L. Moody on a number of topics. Uh, still think that he was a faithful minister of God's word. But one thing I love that he always said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. I think he's right. Do not go away from all that God has given you. Do not isolate yourself. Do not let yourself be isolated. Come back. Find a brother and sister here. If you feel isolated, find them. Talk to them. We love keeping sheep at this church. Come back. Finally, and most importantly for our body, I need to borrow one verse from the parable of the Minas in Luke 19, the companion parable to this one. The servant says in Luke 19, Master, he has 10 Minas already, saying to the guy with the 10 Minas, and he gets the other one that the third guy didn't get. Beware. Christian, beware of coveting your brother or sister's talents. This is the number one way to buy into the lie that Christ is indeed a hard man. He did not give you your brother's wife, your brother's house, your brother's job, your brother's money, your brother's children, or any other piece of his property. He, the perfect son of God, gave you yours, what you have, and he gave it to you because he counted you worthy. It was a blessing. It is a blessing. 
Coveting your brother's responsibility from the Lord is tantamount to theft of your master's property in your heart. This is why we must have a rich time of heartfelt thankfulness in our prayers daily for what he has given. However small, you are entrusted with what you have today because you were thought worthy that you could make a return with his property to you. Never compare abundance to abundance. Simply seek to make an abundance. Well, maybe after this much work talk, some of you might be tired. Some might be a little dejected. I mean, we're not exactly lazy people who just sit around waiting for the next thing to come along. We're all pretty busy from what I've seen. Maybe some of you wonder how you can, with the busy, crazy life you have, plate spin your way to growing Christ's property. Firstly, I'd say to this, you already are. If you feel very busy, take stock. Look at what you're doing. If it's for the kingdom, thank God that you're busy to build Christ's kingdom. Number two, I must also say that I did not plan that this sermon would follow after Pastor Chris's on the Sabbath and resting. God did. And I believe the message is clear. Pastor Chris said, quote, Christian, are you missing the blessing of God because you refuse to break, to rest? Not because you refuse to work, but because you refuse to rest. Take time to spend with God daily. Rest in his word. Look, look, look. You are working while you rest. Remember the cordial greeting of your master tomorrow morning at the scriptures should be reassuring. He is a savior who is quite as anxious as you that you should see for yourself what he sees. Take time to spend with your families, play, laugh, share books and games and memories. You're working while you rest with them. You're building your master's property. Take time to get proper sleep. While fiercely practical, it's inherently biblical. He gives to his beloved rest. Get the rest you need so that you have the energy for the mission. Christian, do you want abundance today? Your master's property is all around you. Each one of you is surrounded by both material and immortal blessings of your Lord. He gave you a mission. And for those who follow he has already guaranteed your success. Let's be about the business of building our master's kingdom. Will you pray with me? Father, how inestimable is your worth. How inestimable is the worth of your sacrifice. We were slaves of sin and the price of redemption that you paid was the price of your only son. He is the proof of your ownership of us. For that, we can only say, hallelujah, what a savior. To that, we say, Lord, make us faithful servants. If we feel today that we have little, may we repent of disgruntled hearts and be faithful with it. If we feel that we have too much today, may we repent 
and be faithful with it. God, make us faithful servants. You promised that we would give a return to you. So finish what you have started by the purchase of us by your son. Make every single person in this room a fruitful image bearer of what you have given and give a return to you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.